Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. I'm so glad to be here with you. Um, I want to thank Amy and Zach in, in that order. Amy, pastor's wife life, is not for the faint of heart, I know too well. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. And Zach, you know I love you like a brother from another mother. So grateful for you. Zach and Amy and I don't know each other super well. It's not like we're hanging out on the weekends all the time, but I feel kindred spirits with them. And I'll tell you this, I love Restore because you guys love my family. So my uncle, my aunt, my cousin, my son are all here this morning and you have loved them so well. And I knew, I knew that I could say, go to Restore, you're gonna love this church and people there are gonna love you. So thank you, you mean a lot to me. And if you're tuning in this morning, we're so glad that you're here. You know, anytime I get to teach the scriptures, I'm like, this is what I love to do. Spending time with you and looking at the scriptures together is my absolute favorite. So I do a couple things in life. I'm an author and a Bible teacher I work part-time, kind of pay the bills. Um, I'm also going to go back to school next year and get my doctorate in New Testament, and then I serve on the board of Pillar Seminary. So I've got my hands in a lot of different things, but really what I'm doing this morning, this is, this is what I love to do. So Zach mentioned that I'm from Dallas. I have a family. I have an eight-year-old son, Caleb. He's here this morning. My husband Aaron and I have been married for 19 years, so we're hopefully planning a trip for next year. I don't know where we're going to go. I'd love your recommendations later. But a little bit about our family. This could be polarizing, so I hope you still accept me after this. But we love the Marvel movies. We love all the Marvel movies. We love Marvel. Okay, and so I didn't think that anything could dethrone Black Panther. Oh, I loved Black Panther. And let me tell you why. I love Black Panther because I'm here for all the women in the Bible that are amazing. You know this if you heard me preach here a couple years ago. I'm here for all of it. I'm here for female leaders and all the preachers and all the teachers and all the evangelists. And there's a scene in Black Panther. And listen, if you haven't seen it yet, you should feel the conviction of the Spirit. That This is not a spoiler alert. It's been years. You know, at this point, you should have seen it. But there's a scene in the movie at Black Panther where there are women huddled around King T'Challa, and they think he's dead, and the good king comes back to life. And I am here for that resurrection scene. I'm here for the women huddled around there, just like Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, the first evangelist, the first gospel preacher. So I didn't think anything could top Black Panther. I was wrong. My family and I saw Shang-Chi twice on opening weekend. So good. Uh, this is not a formal endorsement from me, my family, or uh, Restore. I'm just saying I saw it twice, and I personally thought it was awesome. And the reason my family loved it is because the story is about belonging. 
It's about finding our place in this world. It's about finding who we are and our mission and our purpose. It's about family of origin and how destructive those can be, that our Genesis stories are not our future and determining what we're going to do and be, and I find that very hopeful. I love the movie. And here are some of the things that happen in the movie that you would know from the trailer, no spoiler alerts. In Shang-Chi, he comes from a really toxic family of origin, and it causes destruction in his personal life, his relationships, I think in his romantic relationship. I think there's a lot of issues that stem from Shang-Chi's early childhood trauma. Also, the story is about being a product of our family of origin. You and I came from somewhere and from some people. And irregardless of the circumstances we were born into, you and I have part of our identity connected to that. And for some of us, you're like, it is so broken. My family rides the crazy train. And for some of us, you're like, I'm Mary J. Blige. You know, there's no drama in my life. No more drama. Wherever you came from, you've got that origin story. And what Shang-Chi shows in the movie, at least in the previews, that our, our family of origin doesn't necessarily determine everything about our life. And this can be really good news for some of us. Shang-Chi is about finding our place in the world, finding our purpose. And it's also about becoming the kind of family member that forgives. And you might have a lot of people in your family that need a ton of forgiveness. And it's so hard to find the forgiveness needed. But Shang-Chi is about choosing that. And I bring him up this morning because Shang-Chi has a lot in common with another main character in a true story from the book of Genesis, and his name is Joseph. Joseph and Shang-Chi share these things in common. First of all, complex early childhood trauma. Wow, his A scores would have been high. Second, family betrayal. Shang-Chi and Joseph know what it's like to be abandoned by your family, to feel betrayed by your family. Shang-Chi and Joseph both have this origin story that comes from a lot of drama. We're going to see that in Joseph's life. And both of them are trying to find belonging outside of their family of origin. So those two main characters share a lot in common. And what you're going to see this morning in Genesis chapter 37 is that when toxic family relationships leave you in the pits, God's dream for your life can still be fulfilled. We see it in Shang-Chi's life, and we see it in Joseph's life. And so I want to talk to those of you who maybe feel like you're in the pits right now. And this relationship that's toxic, it can be at work. Oh, <laughs> can it be at work? And when it's at work, does it not just impact everything in our lives? We spend so much time working, whether you are working at home, raising your children, or you're working in the marketplace. If you have a toxic relationship at work, it impacts everything. And it can feel like the pits, the pit of resentment, the pit of fear, um, the pit of insecurity. So if that's you this morning, I have some really good news for you. Even when toxic family relationships or work relationships or romantic relationships put you in the pits, God's dream for you can still be fulfilled. And I know some of you are thinking, what is this dream that you speak of? God has dreamt you up. You are so important. You are mission critical, not only to building the local church and building the kingdom, but you're so important to our world. Gosh, you're so special and unique. 
God was just dreaming of putting you together in your mother's womb, even if she wasn't ready to have you. Even as conception was a wild story, you belong here. Not just at Restore as a church, you belong here for such a time as this. And God has this dream for you to flourish. That's always been his dream from you. For the very beginning of time, the human project in God's eyes was to see you flourish in this beautiful, really hard life. And if you feel like toxic family relationships or a work relationship have you in the pits, it can steal a lot of your trust that things are going to work out. It can steal a lot of your hope for the future. So what you're going to see in Joseph's life is that even when toxic family relationships leave you in the pits, God's dream for your life can still come to fruition. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a paper Bible, turn with me to Genesis 37. If you have a device, you can use that. If you do not like looking at the scriptures, you want to listen... Do whatever makes you feel comfortable, okay? We're going to be in Genesis 37. Now, if you um, have heard me preach a couple times, just hang with me. I say this a lot. But if you are new to following Jesus or new to studying the scriptures, I need you to know what we're going to look at, okay? This is the Bible. The Bible is a collection of divinely inspired manuscripts. It was written over 1,500 years by over different authors. It resulted in 66 different books in two different really big sections. It's a huge piece of content. I mean, there's poetry, there's apocalyptic weirdness, there's narrative, there's history, there's prophecy. How does all of this fit together, this collection of divinely inspired manuscripts? Well, honestly, you guys, it's just one big story. It's the story of God's love for you, and it's a story of redemption. It's a four-part story in my mind, and here's how it goes. God made something good, and that includes you. We messed it up. Oh, we find ways. Joseph is going to mess it up. Joseph's brothers are going to mess it up. Jacob, his father, has messed it up. Everybody messes it up. (laughs) If you have made a mess of your life, me too. The good news is that Jesus makes things right. Jesus makes it right. He, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, here at Restore, we believe that God was 100% man and 100% God, and that his perfect life, his sinner's death, his resurrection from the dead, means you and I can have a relationship with God, and that's the good news. But I think the even better news is that God is coming back. That's the end of the story. God's coming back. He's going to make all things new. There's not going to be any more pits, relational pits. There's not going to be toxic family relationships anymore. There's not going to be any trust lost. There's not going to be any hope lost, right? There's coming a time when God's going to come back and make it all new. That's what we're looking at this morning. So every story you read in the Bible is just a little replaying, like a little micro story within that big, big story of God's love for you and his redemption. So that brings us to Genesis. And I like to joke that if Genesis were a Netflix special... It would have won a Grammy. I mean, wait, Emmy, right? Yeah, it would have won an Emmy. It is so full of drama. Oh my goodness, the family relationships, you're like, this is rated R. I don't, I gotta get, I need to read this in the children's Bible. I need to button up for this conversation. We're gonna see that in Joseph's life. We're gonna see it in his life. So God's project to see you and I flourish, it began with Adam and Eve, and they really messed it up, didn't they? And so God keeps um, intervening in his human project to rescue us from ourselves. And he sends Abraham. And he chooses Abraham to bless everybody. Same thing you and I are supposed to do, to bless everybody. 
And, um, you know, Abraham messes it up too, right? This is how we get the book of Genesis and all the drama for the Emmy. And what we're going to look at this morning is Joseph, one of uh, the descendants from Abraham. And um, Joseph, um, he's had a hard early life. And we're going to look at his teenage years. So we're in Genesis 37. And I think Moses is probably telling this story. And here's what he wanted us to hear. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, plural. And he had a bad report about them to their father. So he's a snitch. Already I'm annoyed at this main character. Um, He's a tattletale. I already am predisposed not to like him. We're going to see that's a theme. Verse 3, now Israel, which is another word for Jacob, Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. Okay, talk about how, how toxic is that? How toxic is that? And I know I'm pushing on some buttons this morning. If you knew there was a favorite in your family and you weren't it, it's so painful. If you were the family favorite, that carries a lot of weight too. And it's not too much fun either, i got to tell you. So what Moses tells us is that Joseph was a son born to Jacob in his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all the other brothers, they hated him. And they could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Now, I think at this point in the story, when we look at the word brothers, it seems rather benign. People have brothers. Oh, no, these brothers are like an angry gang. They are some scary dudes. A couple chapters earlier, and I I know we've got innocent ears in here this morning. Kids are in with us, so I'm going to use some um, loose terms that I think you'll understand if you're an adult. A couple chapters earlier, Joseph's sister, Dinah, she is assaulted by a man named Shechem in a place called Shechem. And Joseph's brothers are so irate, they devise this plan to marry her off to her perpetrator. That is so messed up. They decide that this is all just a sham wedding because they want everyone to get circumcised, which, you know, surgery without that anesthesia would have been really painful, on day three. And then Joseph's brothers go in and they literally kill everybody. Women, children, animals. Wipe them out. That's Joseph's brothers. You don't want to be on their bad side. So we should feel, if we're connected to this story, oh my goodness, his brothers don't like, they hate him? It says that they cannot speak peaceably to him. Imagine with me what that looks like. Is that the silent treatment? Like, do they not acknowledge his presence? And for some of us, that has been our reality. You know what it's like to be completely shut out, to be blocked, and then never spoken to again. It is so painful. The ghosting that we experience in relationships, I don't know if it was that. Maybe it was the other end of the spectrum. You know, maybe his brothers were so verbally abusive that he was beat up every day. And you know those messages that replay in your head when someone verbally abuses you? I mean, they're like a record that won't stop. It literally needs, you you need Jesus intervention to stop some of those things. And this is Joseph's life as a teenager. He is annoying and a snitch, and his brothers hate him, and they are, they are evil, as we are going to see. In verse 5, Moses says, Then Joseph had a dream, and he told his brothers they hated him even more. <laughs> and he said to them, Listen, 
Listen to this dream. There were binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it, and you bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us, their brothers asked? Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And this is where you're like, Joseph, read the room. (laughs) Read the room. Joseph had another dream. Look, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his fathers and his brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had? Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, and his father kept the matter in mind. Verse 12, his brothers had gone to the pasture to their father's flocks at Shechem. Okay, I don't watch scary movies. My husband's obsessed with them. I worry for him. Pray for him. It bothers me, the movies. I'm like, oh, why did that scare you? And I called him last night, and I said, I'm try- I need to try to explain Shechem. Shechem should make you shudder. And Aaron was like, oh, it's summer camp in any of the Friday the 13th movies. Like, you know you're going to die. That's Shechem, you guys. Let me give you some history. You can- Will you nerd out with me just for a second? Just for a second. Shechem is supposed to be this place where you meet God. In Genesis 12, it's the first time Shechem shows up in the Bible, and someone's making an altar to God to connect with him. The next thing we see is Dinah's situation that we just talked about, her assault, in a place called Shechem by a man named Shechem. So it's a place where men wreak havoc in women's lives, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of punishment. The next time we see Shechem is here. The slave trade begins in Shechem, in the scriptures. That's where that narrative starts. So human trafficking here this morning in Genesis 37. Later on, Shechem's going to be the place where King Abimelech and King Rehoboam are are coronated. And if you're like, who are these people? Why do I care? They're, They're scary. The most evil kings in all of church history, right? There's these guys. These guys. They're coronated there. So it's it's not like just evil runs rampant and the slave trade has started and assault happens there. Shechem is where we coronate evil leaders. We turn a blind eye to who they are. We should all be afraid of Shechem. So verse 13, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, they're pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph said. Oh, I bet he thought he was ready. Then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring a word back to me. So he sent him from Hebron Valley and he went to Shechem. Dun, dun, dun. A man found Joseph wandering in the field and said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. And Joseph said, can you tell me where they're pasturing their flocks? The man said, they've moved on from here. I, said, I heard them say they're going to Dothan. So Joseph went that way. Verse 18, the brothers saw Joseph in the distance and began, before he could even reach them, they started to plot to kill him. And they said to one another, oh, look, here comes the dream expert. Hey, let's kill him. I mean, wow, (laughs) this is like a movie. We just went from we hate you, probably not speaking to you, verbally abuse you, to like we want you to die now. Verse 19, they said to one another, there's the dream expert. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we can say that a vicious animal ate him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And then Reuben, bless Reuben. Reuben heard this and he tried to save Joseph's life. And he said, hey, 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 guys, let's not take his life. Don't shed blood. 
Just throw him in this pit in the wilderness. Don't lay hands on him. And Reuben obviously had a plan. He wanted to come back and rescue his brother Joseph. Verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him in the pit. And the pit was empty without water. And if you are a Christ follower and you know the rest of the story in the New Testament, you should start to feel some tension. Oh, Lord, we need someone better than Joseph, stronger than Joseph, whose life can't be taken from him, but who gives it for us. We need someone else whose robe is going to be taken from him, whose life is going to be given for a couple of pieces of silver. But we need Jesus, the one who's going to give his life. In verse 26, in verse 25, they sat down to eat a meal. Okay, this is chilling. Can they hear Joseph screaming for his life? Is Joseph clawing out of this pit or trying? Was his fall so hard that he broke a limb? And they just sit down to eat. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill Joseph? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes, which is a sign of grief. And he went back to his brothers and said, the boy's gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, dipped the robe in, its, robe in its blood, and then they sent the robe of many colors to their father and asked, we found this. Could this be your son's? Verse 33, his father Jacob recognized it. It's my son's robe. A vicious animal has devoured him, and Joseph has been torn to pieces. Can you imagine the heartache? I mean, Jacob was a really messed up father. The way he treated Dinah, I'm not here for it. The way he favored Joseph, I'm not here for that either. The way his sons seem to like kill everybody they're mad about or try to threaten their lives, I'm not here for that either. But Jacob's a person, and he was a dad. And if you have ever lost a child, or lost the dream of a child, or lost the future of a child, you know how wrecked emotionally Jacob is right now. He is wrecked that he has lost one of his sons, or thinks so. And Jacob tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth around his waist, which is another sign of grieving, and all his sons and daughters, they tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comfort, comforted. And he said, I'm going to go down to Sheol, which is like another pit. And that's what you do when you're a parent and you love a child who's gone. You want to be in the pit with them. You want to be gone too. This is, a, this is a hard story, right? There's a lot of tension here. I wish I would hear for a couple of weeks so I could take you to the end. The end gets better, I promise. But I want to talk to you this morning about what, what Joseph lost. He lost a lot. Being a victim of human trafficking, I mean, he lost his autonomy and his freedom. I, but I think on a more emotional level and metaphorical level for you and me, because hopefully you're not in danger to go into the slave trade, and hopefully your family isn't literally putting you in a physical pit. But I think metaphorically speaking, we know what it is to have toxic family dynamics or relationships that leave us in metaphorical pits. And what happens is we lose trust that things are going to work out. We lose trust in the dream giver. We lose trust in family relationships. We lose trust in people. And I have experienced this myself. I think that one of the other things that Joseph lost was just hope, hope of a good future. You know, he had these two dreams. 
where he would be an authority and people would be bowing down to him. And now he's a slave. He's headed to Egypt. He's going to be in a dungeon for a decade. And so if you are in a pit this morning, I want to encourage you to do two things, okay? The first thing I want you to do is I want you to trust your place in God's family. I think Joseph, he got put on that caravan to Egypt, and I can only imagine if he thought, this is the last time I'm ever going to see anyone in my family. I don't know if I'm going to survive. I think his brothers were probably hoping they would never see him again and left him for dead. And then you have Jacob grieving that he'll never see his son again. Everyone in that family is questioning their role. What's life going to look like after Joseph's gone the favorite? So what I want to encourage you to do is to trust your place in God's family. I don't know that Joseph had that in his own, but he did eventually find his place in the family of God, a place where he could thrive and contribute, a place where he could flourish, and that is available to you. So I don't know what your family dynamic is like or your relationships, your romantic relationships, but if they are at all strained, you have a place where there's no strain in your relationship with God because of what Jesus did for you. You can trust that you have a place in God's family. And if you're wondering, yeah, I mean, who gets into this family? (laughs) Because some families are really tight-knit and no one can get in. Not the Jesus family that you and I are a part of. Think about who gets included. The orphans, the widows, the women, the children, the slaves, those with disabilities, anyone who had a difference. Jesus was like, they are all in my family. You, my friend, can trust your place in God's family. Whether you are belong to your own biological family or not, you belong here with this family, and you can trust that. The second thing that I want you to do is to trust the dream giver. We see this in Joseph's life in the future, and I can't fast forward because we don't have time this morning, but what we see that's coming in the future is that Joseph trusts the dream giver, that God wanted him to flourish, that God would be with him always, and that he wouldn't have to be afraid, and Joseph trusts that. When my son Caleb was younger, I would try to drive this home for him. I think in part because I have some brokenness in my family. You can read about that in either one of my books. Um, But I think I really wanted to instill into Caleb Armstrong that he always has a place in God's family and that he can trust God's dream for his life. That even if all these bad things have happened to him, he can trust that God's dream for his life can still be fulfilled. And the way I did that is I would read him a children's book. And you know what? I love the book so much that I would have him read it to me (laughs) on days that were bad. But it's a book we're going to close on this morning. It's by Matthew Paul Turner. And this isn't certainly an endorsement for Matthew or this book or series or publishing. I just really love this story. And the title is When God Made You. And I'm going to read it to you. When God Made You by Matthew Paul Turner. You, you, when God made you, God made you all shiny and new. An incredible you, a you all your own, a you unlike anyone else ever known. An exclusive design, one God refined. You're a perfectly crafted one of a kind. Because when God made you, somehow God knew that the world needed someone exactly like you. You, you, God thinks about you. God was thinking of you long before your debut. From the very beginning, amid history and time, 
you, little one, never left God's mind. God imagined your eyes and the shape of your head and size and knew what you'd look like when you felt surprised. God pictured your nose and all 10 of your toes, the sound of your voice. God had it composed. The lines on your hands, your hair, every strand. God knew every detail like it was all planned. Out of billions of faces from cultures, all races, God, people God made from all different places. God knew your name. Your picture is framed. God's family without you would not be the same. Because when God made you, this much is true. The world got to meet who God already knew. You, you, when God sees you, God delights in what is and sees only what's true. That you, yes you, in all of your glory, bring color and rhyme and rhythm to God's story. So be you, fully you, a show-stopping review. Live your life in full color, every tint, ever hue. Discover, explore, have faith but love more, and learn and relearn all that God made you for. Use your talents and passions, those gifts that God fashioned. Think up ideas and then put them to action because God loves you creating. Your true self displaying when light on the inside through art is portraying. When you make believe, the stories conceive, the heroics, the magic, those tricks up your sleeve. When you dance alone, spinning like a cyclone, being whoever, whatever in a world all your own, God smiles and hears why. In the spark of your eye, a familiar reflection shines bright from inside. Because when God made you and the world oohed and awed, in the heavens they called you an image of God. You, you, when God dreams about you, God dreams about all that in you will be true, that you God's you will be hopeful and kind, a giver who lives with all heart, soul, and mind, a dreamer who dreams in big and small themes, one who keeps dreaming in journeys upstreams, a mover, a shaker, a lover of nature, a builder of bridges, you, the peacemaker, a you who views others as sisters and brothers and live by three words, love one another. A confident you, strong and brave too. You being you is God's dream coming true. Because when God made you, all of heaven was beaming. Over you, God was smiling and already dreaming. Let me pray for you.